Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 35 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Back here with Sam Marks. Hey Johnny, happy new year. Great to be back in 2017. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to everyone listening as well. Uh, happy 2017, guys. Yeah, definitely. So our goal for 2017 is to continue to share what we learn and you know find the best experts in every single different field to kind of really explore our finances and make sure not only are we on the right path, but we're also kind of aware of what is going on out there in the world, especially in the, the fintech and financial world. Yep. And if you guys listened to the last episode, episode 34, Johnny and I catch up and talk about New Year's plans, goals, resolutions, and big plans for the podcast. So make sure you check out that episode. And um, we got a a very exciting lineup for the next couple months and for 2017 as a whole. So we're, we're super pumped up. So I think this week's episode uh, is going to be a bit different. It's actually kind of cool. It's one of Sam's college buddies, uh, David Siegel, who is a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual, a big company. He's based out in Florida. Uh, I guess that's where you and him met. Yep. Palm Beach Gardens and then went to Florida State together. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And I actually listened to this episode already. This is one of those uh, ones that we actually recorded um, a few days ago. And unfortunately, there were some technical difficulties. <laughs> and you're going to find out exactly <laughs> what Sam spilled on his MacBook to mess it up. Uh, so we're going to apologize for this audio quality for this episode not being as good as it normally is, but there's such good value in there. And he, you guys touched base on so many good things that we had to release it anyways. So, uh, you know, big thank you to Anthony, our editor, for cleaning up the best way he, he can. Uh, I, I know it was, it was kind of a pain to do so. Yeah, and thanks to C- Dave Siegel as well for persevering through the little accident and uh, carrying on with with the episode. Uh, so in this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about 14 different asset classes and how they will be affected with inflation. So a lot of people are talking about inflation now. And one of the books that we recommended on the last episode, The Creature of Jekyll Island, has an amazing chapter in it that talks about a hyperinflation scenario, which is so vivid and such a wonderful illustration of what could potentially happen uh, if the stars align and hyperinflation is war to come roaring back to any country, but maybe more, most specifically the U.S. So, if you haven't listened to that book yet, make sure you do. We'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Um, and that is a really good preface for this episode, talking about inflation on several different asset classes. And if you guys miss anything, uh, especially because of the, the audio, don't worry. Sam and I are going to wrap it up at the end. So enjoy this episode, guys. Okay. Okay. We're back. <laughs> so I don't know. if. Let me just explain what happened. We started recording about 20 minutes ago. We're about 10 minutes into the episode, and I spill my tall glass of scotch on my keyboard. We continue recording, and then two minutes later, <laughs> the computer dies. So I don't know if we're going to be able to salvage the previous part of the episode, so we're just going to start over. Which was amazing. Which was fantastic. <laughs> Probably the best episode ever. So we're back, and we have a new glass of scotch. I have our assistant's co- computer. With a new program installed, and oh wait, something's happening with my computer. It's got a big question mark on my Mac. <laughs> I've never seen that before. A big question mark on the Mac. 
Did you feed yeah. me with shit alcohol? That's what <laughs> If anyone's ever seen a big question mark show up on a black screen on a Mac, let us know, because that's what's happening in mine right now. So that's how the year ends. But anyways, we're back. I got Dave Siegel with me. We got another guy. He's in a onesie <laughs> and a lollipop scarf. We're having a lot of fun. That's right. So what we're doing on this episode is we are talking about a lot of things finance related. Specifically, we're going to go into some things with inflation, because inflation... A lot of people projecting to be in the forecast for the coming years. And there's just a, a lot of interesting stuff to catch up on. So with further ado, we're back on I'm with Dave Siegel. Dave, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're in Palm Beach, or West Palm Beach, actually. We're looking out Dave's office at Palm Beach Island. If anyone's never been to Palm Beach Island, it's like basically like the Beverly Hills, uh, Hollywood of the East Coast in a way, right? With that. All old money, so you don't get the, the entertainers and the celebrities so much, but you get the Rockefellers and you get the old Donald Trump's got a house there. It's a beautiful place. So we're in West Palm overlooking the island. And Dave, why don't you give us a little bit of history since I don't think the previous recording is going to be salvaged. Take two? Yeah, give us a take two on you know how you got into wealth management and West Palm Beach and all that jazz. Sure. Um, back in school, right after, right before I should say I graduated, I met someone involved with, uh, with Northwestern Mutual, uh, ended up doing an internship with them, probably the worst intern of all time. And mm-hmm. uh, eventually I, I attended this meeting, we have an annual meeting in July uh, 2009, and realized that the culture I wanted to be a part of, and it's something I had to give a, a fair shot at, mm-hmm. fair shake. Mm-hmm. And fast forward seven and a half years, uh, still here, uh, have an awesome team that uh, mentioned before, it has not been easy. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, we got started end of eight, really beginning of '09. May have been arguably one of the worst times to right. get into yeah, this yeah, field. For sure. And so I uh, had family members, friends, people tell me to get out of it. But um, there's actually the other side was never a greater need for some actual, not just information, but yeah. knowledge. Yeah. So that's what we was one. Cool. So if someone comes to you today, and you said you got started in eight oh nine. It was a, kind of a stigma to the whole financial industry. Now we have movies like The Big Short, kind of make it more transparent for people to understand. I think that's a big part of this podcast too, is just trying to get people to understand, if nothing else, just the fundamentals. And it's very much a learning process for Johnny and I and, and many of our listeners just understanding the fundamentals. What happens on a typical customer? They come in your office, they're like, hey, I got a million bucks. I want to put it to work. I'm not sure where to start. You know, What are some of the questions? How would you get that person started and create kind of a, a roadmap for them? So first thing, uh, can be overlooked a lot of times. You hear that question a lot, right? It's like, I had a pen, sell it to me. You know, it reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting the blueprint. It's figuring out what that person actually wants to have happen. Right. So taking time to actually break down their vision, their goals. And once you have it, again, set my, set it before, when, when you want to build a house, mm-hmm. you don't have the guy start building, get halfway, say you don't like certain things and do it. Right. Way, but yeah. that's not ideal. Spend a lot of time on the blueprints, work with an architect. You actually get it on paper and then you build it. And so that's what we're doing. So we're asking a lot of questions about what's important to them. Um, what do you know already? What have you had a great experience in? Mm-hmm. What have you had a bad experience in? Uh, and we go from there. And then to break it down further to help kind of understand what we're doing, it's, mm-hmm. we do two levels of financial planning. There's, it's called above the line financial planning and below the line. So above the line is where your money goes, mm-hmm. which is four places, right? You have taxes on the same, so we know what that's going to be. Yep. We have housing. You don't want more than 28% of your income going towards that mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. 
and then when you're spending and saving. So it's a binary trade, right? So if you have 28% uh, going towards your house, you know that you have the, the delta to divide between spending and saving. If you have less than that, you're going to have more that you can put towards those other things. So once we do the above the line, that's more budget. Mm -hmm. Below the line is going to be uh, where your money can go, right? So fancy words, 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 bifurcated, where you're going to go. Uh, so zero to 12 months called the safe dollars, right? So it's typically in, in cash, anywhere we have three to six months of bills. Then you have 13 months to 60 months, mm -hmm. so almost two year to five year money. That's what I call seed money. So that's capital call money, um, making loans to family members or friends. Uh, you have an opportunity, real estate purchase, you name it. So that's that second bucket. Right. Third bucket, you're going to have your wealth money. So wealth money is going to be your stocks, mutual funds, cash value life insurance, mm -hmm. uh, and then advisory accounts. Then you're also going to have your pension is your fourth bucket. So pension is going to be it's a word that a lot of people may not aren't going to know anymore because they don't exist as much, but that's where you'll have, uh, if you do have one from a previous employer, 401ks, IRAs, anything really just geared specifically for retirement. So once we have, you understand where the money's going and then where we're going to deploy that based on those buckets, based on the needs, that's really the, the initial conversation that we're having. So one thing that I realized pretty recently after we sold the business, and I just listened to the book, the Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, there's a quote in there from one of the Rothschilds that said, it takes an enormous amount of wits to make money and it takes exponentially more wits to maintain it, right? And I've never found anything more challenging in my life. So for most people, you would think that this is simple, right? It's easy to go out and make four or 5%. But let's just say, let's just say you're an individual, you have a million or 10 million. You live in New York, you have $10 million. Let's just say you don't have any income. You have $10 million. You want to, you want to grow your wealth. Let's say you were making 6% on that, right? That would be $600,000. Maybe it's, you know, there's different types of income, but let's just call it like ordinary income. You're, you're, it was bonds or, or some type of uh, fixed instruments or, or uh, REITs investments, and you're getting taxed at ordinary income levels. So you're in New York, you're making 600,000 a year. That's 6% on 10 million. You're getting taxed. In at 40%, right? 39% plus you got state income tax in New York. It's maybe another, I don't know what it is local. up there. Yeah. Local. State, local, and yeah. then 3.8 for the local. Affordable Care Act. Right. So that you're basically getting 10 or 50% straight off the top. Plus, you're living in New York where sales tax has got to be, I don't know, high single digits or in something. California to us. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're paying almost 60% in taxes when all is said and done, right? So you have, you're making 600000 you're getting 300 plus taken right off the top. You're living in New York and you, you have a ton of money. You're not living in a shoebox, right? If you have any kids or any liabilities, you're spending 300K a year. So you're, you're, and then you have inflation, right? So it's, it's very difficult. And that's what he, he means in the quote. And I think a lot of people, you know, there's another quote. You spend the first half of your life making money, the second half trying to protect it. And it's really, really hard to grow even a, a sum like 10 million or, or whatever into more money because of taxes and inflation and everything else. And, you know, if you're targeting 6% or something, that's not even always achievable. So I assume this is like some of the stuff that you try to help with, especially on like the tax planning side as well. Yeah. And, and the way, the easy way I put it, and I've, I've heard that quote is it's for most people, right, that we're working with, mm -hmm. it's easy to make, it's hard to keep. Right. And keep, that could be from a saving standpoint and um, just habits, mm -hmm. right, or behaviorally. Uh, but also, too, tax drag is a huge thing, right? Mm -hmm. We were talking about before the way that 
you can increase alpha, which is like the return on a portfolio, mm-hmm. the balance sheet, mm-hmm. is reducing what you pay in taxes, mm-hmm. right? So think of it as gross income and net income. If we can keep more of that gross without taking on more risk, mm-hmm. wouldn't that make sense to do? So right, yeah. Figuring out ways to do that, and I think it really does come from just taking time to actually figure out, okay, here's what we need, here's what we want. A lot of times when you have that kind of money, uh, a lot of times people do, but oftentimes people don't. Because yeah. um, if you make it pretty, I don't want to say easily, but if you're able to bring that kind of money, a lot of people say, well, what do I need budget for? Right. So is that it's harder to be intentional because you're comfortable in that comfort zone. Uh, I think it takes a change or a specific goal for us to really, really to have any type of desire to change. Mm-hmm. Right. So you hear from people all the time, never saved any money. They want to save for a house and all of a sudden boom, they can save. Yeah. When we're trying to save and keep money oftentimes, we don't really have something specific they're doing it for. They just want to, yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. I like the scotch, by the way. It's fantastic now that I've had two glasses and watered down, just like you said. <laughs> well, I, I haven't even had a glass. I just I, I donated my entire glass to my computer, which is now not lighting up. It's it's completely bunked. But you know what? You, you get get rid of the old in the year, and then you look forward to a new year, so right? Have you budgeted for that? Have I haven't budgeted. budgeted. For a new I haven't. I That's was just thinking about, about right that. There. I was like, how much is that going to set me back? Two grand, right? So for e- so real easy, right now. This is very very like. I, you know, for the most of your listeners, this may or may not apply. I think it's different for the uh, dynamic of the house, right? But there's a really, uh, Alexa Von Tobel came out with a, with a book, and one of the things she references is 50, 30, 20. So that's 50% of what you make typically will go towards fixed expenses, 30% on leisure, mm-hmm. save 20%. Mm-hmm. It's going to vary. If you're single, again, living in New York, let's say you're working on Wall Street, your expenses may or may not be 50%. They may be right. more, maybe less. But if you have yeah. two kids, Maybe a spouse that doesn't work, it's probably going to be over that. Yeah. Right. So it's just, I think, having a baseline, trying something, just like you do anything. You try to work out, mm. you don't know if it's going to be perfect enough, but you try it, and then you make adjustments and pivot where you need to. All right. Yeah. And I think that's the first step. So I looked at a chart. We had Met Faber on the show several episodes back. We also had Simon Black. We touched on inflation a bit in those. We had Paul Marion. We touched on inflation. Inflation is kind of a complicated subject. My basic understanding of it is it's good for governments because, especially like the U.S., massive debt, Japan, a lot of the European nations, massive debt. But if they play their cards right and they can control inflation, they can basically inflate away their debt. So let's say the U.S. has 20 million and uh, 20 trillion in debt, <laughs> not billion, not billion, 20 trillion in debt. They can inflate it away. The tax basically goes to the individuals, to the citizens, right? Because it's their money that's getting inflated away. So inflation is good for government, bad for the individual. And now if you look at like a chart, so Medfavor has a really famous chart. You look at the, the purchasing power of a dollar from 1920 back or to, to modern day. And it basically it goes from $100 down to like 1.6, right? Most people, it, it, they don't really feel that because they haven't been around since 1920. So they can't, it's, it's less relative, right? But if you look at that chart, even from 1970 to modern day, that's our parents, right? If they had $20 in the bank, let's let's move that up to $2 million just because it's easier to digest. If they had $20 million, or sorry, $2 million in the bank in 1920, I'm sorry, 1970, we're talking a 40-year window, that is now worth $300,000 or $20 down to $3. So enormous erosion of purchasing power. And now we're back in an environment where we have President-elect Trump, talking about a lot of investment into infrastructure and other other things. People were talking about inflation coming, roaring back. So it's something that I think is, is 
it's not on everybody's mind. It's not on the average person's mind. You know, mom and pop aren't sitting at home really concerned about inflation and what it's going to do to the, the $30,000 in their bank account, right? But they should be. Uh, but it's, again, it's a complicated topic. So we wanted to go into a few, you know, a few different asset classes and just talk briefly about what happens because what's the worst thing with inflation? What's the absolute worst thing? Cash, right? So let's talk about a few different things and just try to get like a general understanding of what would, what's going to happen to them in an inflationary environment. So first one, stocks. So just want to go? Yeah, just fire away. So, I mean, typically during times, uh, inflationary times, I should say, stocks are going to gonna rise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say short term, but they're, they're going to rise uh, until the Fed gets too tight, potentially, mm-hmm. and that, that can spur a recession. Mm-hmm. So with stocks, as, as prices increase and revenue is projected, um, rising in, in price of earnings, and they get they become cheaper, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this, there's this time where you're, at some point from that bullish market, you're going to have the smart money that's going to want to get out of it. Right. Right? So have your average retail investor is going to say, and your neighbor is going to say, hey, this is when we need to be doing this. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're getting those shares. That's when that guy's getting to from the smart money. So now that that smart money is getting out, that's when the market can shift. And now we go into a bearish time. And smart money knows that the bullish uh, retail investor at that point does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where you see that 2008, things like that yeah. can happen. So I've, I've heard a couple of people talking about inflation being good for individuals. And one of the talking points on that subject is that, okay, if there's inflation, let's say the inflation is 5%, there's a good chance that stock market's going to be up as well. And if, you, if you're an investor, inflation is going to mean those assets increase. But what I, all, what I don't hear people mention is the fact that if inflation is 5%, your stocks are at 5%, you're losing, right? Because you're paying tax on that gain. Where I was gonna say working even out, but figuring the tax and yeah. Right, exactly. So unless the the stock market takes a much you know a, a order of magnitude larger gain, then I think ultimately inflation is still bad for the for the average person. Yeah, and so we were talking about where someone can look in their account and say they have more money mm-hmm. in there, but as far as purchasing power, it can be the same or less. Right, right. Okay, so that's stocks. It's better to be in stocks, generally speaking, than cash in an inflationary environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so now we go into bonds. Bonds get hammered, right? By the way, as a uh, caveat to that, yeah, I would say again, going back to from a planning aspect, mm-hmm. better to be in the market compared to cash. It would depend. Is there another opportunity or your own business or something mm-hmm. that you can invest in? Right. Personally, I know we'll get to that, but is it better? Yeah, if you're saying just strictly gain, uh, you've taken liquidity and, and some needs into consideration. But that was just my little caveat. I like it. So we're going to bonds. Bonds, let's just say a typical bond. We're not talking about bond fund, but let's say a bond, 10-year maturity, you buy it from somebody, a bond is a loan, you're getting 2% on that. Inflation in most years in recent history destroys that, right? But it's still probably better than cash because cash is, you're getting negative, right? So maybe a bond keeps up with it, but I know like a lot of my bond funds are just getting totally wiped out and hammered Well, it's right just now. less negative, right? So your cash yeah. is zero and inflation is 2.8. Right, so you're negative two point eight. If a if a bond's getting two, it's just less negative. It's less worse. It's less. It's less worse. worse. Okay. Next asset class: real estate. Probably one of the best places to be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, property value increases as, as currency depreciates. So, uh, in rents on these properties, they can increase each year, just depending on on what those. Uh, they can increase depending on what inflation does yeah. and what the market dictates. Yeah. Which you're seeing that right now here, and I can't speak to everywhere, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, in South Florida, I mean, right now, uh, rents 
I mean, as high as they've ever been. Or I know. It's ever. crazy, man. I, I'm looking out your window right now. I'm looking at an area that I, I, I lived here three years after college. And we drove by on the way to your office. We drove by our building. It's not too far from here, right around the corner. Montecito. You know Montecito? Yeah. yeah. That's where I lived right after college. I lived with Brian Rabbit. And our rent was $900 for a two-bedroom. This was going back 2007, 2008. It was in, yeah, it was, yeah, it was in the recession. I remember like we were dealing with a realtor. The price was like 1500 and she's like, you know what? Everyone around here is desperate. Just make whatever offer you want to offer. <laughs> we're like, all right, well, we can afford 900 for a two better. Yeah. And we got it for 900. It was ridiculous. And now you go and these places are two, three times as much money. I mean, the place right across the street was selling for $35,000 for a nice condo. I mean, it was at the bottom of you know, everyone that was thinking on yeah, getting that at the time. Yeah, place across my building, I yeah. actually had forgotten about that, so you brought it up. Yeah. But then, with, you know, with real estate, too, there's, uh, I would say that I'm doing this for about eight years now, mm-hmm. that's something where most, if not all, instead of just saying blanket statements, I would say most wealthy, successful, either investors or just um, people in business or just in general, families have a, a good portion, at least some real estate, mm-hmm. because you have capital appreciation, right? A lot of places, you mentioned Palm Beach, it's fine. I mean, there's only so so many places on the water. So you're going to have that capital appreciation. Um, you have cash flows from, from rents. Mm-hmm. So I think it's from as far as a hedge, you can typically um, price those rents to be ahead or at least at a minimum keep, keep pace yeah. while you're paying down an asset now that you that you ultimately own with some of those dollars. If anyone hasn't been to Palm Beach, take a drive on it. It's a super inspiring place. I mean, we're talking... The biggest mansions you've ever seen right on and a lot of places you can see the beach and the intercoastal and like it's like Dave said, it, it's an exclusive club. There's only so much property there. I think the cheapest house on the island is like one point five million. It's like a two bedroom shack, right? Well, one of the <laughs> one of the funniest stories I can remember is that three years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Ryan Beckett, he's a he's a character. One day we want to have him on the show. But he uh, he's always doing these cherry races and the big thinker and oh you did meet him actually. Ryan? Met him, we had dinner. Oh, at oh, the long hair guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so quite a handsome guy. Yeah, handsome, yeah. handsome devil. Yeah. Um, he doesn't think so, really, of course he does. So we, he's like, hey, Dave, we're going to do this this walk. It's for a charity, and we're going to go from, uh, essentially, we're going to go from Boca. I think they went to Miami, but my part was from Boca to mm-hmm. West Palm. We're going to go from Highland Beach to Bradley's. We're going to go on foot. Nice. And he's going to raise money for this. That's uh, awesome. For this charity. Yeah. So, I never gone three miles in my life at the time, mm-hmm. and we made it. But it's it. a walk. It's a walk run, and I oh, teamed up with this ultra runner, this Russian chick who she was, she was an animal. She yeah. was amazing, and I ran with her for a lot of the time. Uh, Chrissy, my then fiance, was following us, so I think it was about 26, 27 miles. I made it to Palm Beach, and I, had, growing up, had never driven on Palm Beach, and I remember right in the back. I forget the name of the street, but it literally is on the water. And right around the middle of that street, I broke down full body cramps. Uh, oh, wait, was this three miles? Or? This, is, this, is, no, this is after probably about 20. And 20, about seven hours later, uh, break down full body cramps. And she picks me up. And she's terrified. Like, are you okay? Uh, and then I got in the car. And my first thing was, I was like, have you ever seen the houses over here? They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking about my body's breaking down. And it's all I could think about. It's how beautiful it was. Well, dude, uh, not to get sidetracked, but we're doing a charity walk. Not a walk run. Across Ireland, May, April, May this year. We'd love to have you 
walk. It won't break down, I promise, because I'm only walking like an hour a day. And we're, we're doing uh, Ireland trips, so we'll just schedule for that time. Yeah, let's make it happen. And I since then, it. this past January, I did run a full marathon in four hours, 11 minutes, and no cramping, no breakdown. Is so that, I did, is that uh, good? Or? Back for vengeance with that. Is that good? Is that good time? Yeah, I think under four hours, like four unders are very respectable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the guys that do it, you know, the uh, Kenyans, those guys that train like their lives for this, uh, they're doing it in over two hours. Nike's got a contest right now, probably the best marketing that I've seen in a long time. One fifty nine fifty nine. We're trying to break. Never been done before. Uh, a two hour marathon. Wow. Uh, well, if you find one that allows you to rollerblade in it, you just let me know because I'm amazing on rollerblades. <laughs> From Reno nine one one, that's how I think of the guy on rollerblades. So we all like real estate in inflationary times, capital appreciation, which is capital gains, and potentially increasing rents. Taxes too. Sorry, there's a lot of things that you can do as far as with rents. Uh, and each year with real estate, you can duck 127. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of things from the, the, the value. So there's a lot of things that you can do, not only from a gains standpoint, but to actually keep more. What's 127? You can deduct 127 of the. Oh, 127. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. The value, uh, which will help offset that that tax burden uh, on the gains. So a lot of people that have real estate, you know, between money they save for repairs. Uh, the deduction, uh, that 127, et cetera, mm-hmm. they're able to pull in that money, not totally, quote-unquote, tax-free, but pretty darn close a lot of times. Cool. Very good. So I got a lot of investments now in REITs and in physical property. I've been investing more and more into this company Fundrise, which is essentially just an e-REIT, which I really like. And now I think I invested pre, pre-elect or pre-election. Yeah, pre-election. I was pretty optimistic about it. Now I'm really optimistic because I just feel like Property in the USA is going to be a very strong performing asset class over the next decade, but we'll see. Uh, definitely, you know, after you know, compared to investing in REITs where all of your money is taxed as ordinary income, at least as a, U- a U.S. citizen, I know for foreigners there's a lot of tax advantages to investing in REITs. I have a buddy in Singapore who's investing in REITs; all the earnings for him is tax free, which is incredible, right? So many. So many tax efficient ways to invest if you're not a, a U.S. citizen. Uh, but compared to REITs, you know, physical real estate has a lot of a lot of upside and probably inflationary benefits. So let's go into REITs. So REITs, I've heard both sides of the story. We just had Brett Owens on last episode talking about REITs uh, in a very optimistic way, even in a rising interest rate environment, inflationary environment. So REITs can perform well, but they also carry a lot of debt, right? Yeah, and I think it's just like with anything, right? And we use that that analogy where it's like if I show up at your house with a hammer and a screwdriver, mm-hmm. and we're arguing over what's the better tool. It really just depends on the job. Mm-hmm. So there's good in a lot of these, and there's also that more depends on, I think, uh, the type of fund, or in this case, REIT that you're in, and also what the environment's like. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times, too, you can have it not necessarily be as favorable as, say, real, real estate, right. just because... Um, you can have fixed payments on those. So it's, you run into the same thing similarly as you do with bonds. Um, whereas if the payment, if it does increase as a cost of the housing increases, you don't necessarily realize that as an investor, uh, as if you're the owner, you still may. It's kind of up to them. So I would just say looking at what some of the parameters are of when things like that happen. Right. So REITs, Brett, in uh, episode 33, if you guys listen to it, one of his big Top, you know, one of the I think the key takeaways from that was he studied REITs back in rising interest rate environments and said that there's no evidence that they underperform or perform any worse. Uh, and in fact, 
they beat the major market indexes over the last rate rising environment, which was really cool because I think everyone's preconception is that that REITs just perform badly when when rates rise because a lot of them are leveraged, you know, 50 percent on up. So that was pretty cool. Uh, So I own a lot of REITs. The one REIT that I own that everyone knows about is senior housing, uh, senior housing properties. And that actually missed earnings last quarter because they blamed it all on a 25 basis point interest rise. I'm like, how are they blaming their entire earnings on 25? Ba- if they're if they're getting screwed on earnings because of 25 basis point rise, what are they right? Where is it? 50, you know, 50 basis points or, or uh, one point. So my big takeaway of last episode is let me get out of that route and get into some more favorable ones. But um, so REITs, REITs, I think has has potential upside and downside because they're so debt heavy, but in inflation, they are in real estate. So they should, you know, the assets as a whole should potentially increase. So going to another one. Okay. So we have covered stocks, bonds, real estate, REITs. Talk a little bit about precious metals. Any thoughts on that? It's not, not everyone's favorite uh, investment asset in class. What do you think about it? Do I you remember, ever put I remember people when, in? when I first started, so in like 2008, I feel like in West Palm, which there was like two, three places that were just it was slanging gold. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even physical gold. It was essentially investing in a lot of these funds. And there was a, a lot of, they were getting shut down. And so that was like my first where I actually really like had looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that. So when you have inflation, as long as it's outpacing interest rates, mm-hmm. you're, you're in good shape with something like gold, yeah. for instance. But if it's the other way around and interest rates are um, outpacing inflation, which really happened like right around essentially election time yeah. is exactly what happened. Um, it's going to get whacked, which it just did. Like so, it. so that's where, listen, if you talk to, you know, Mergio, he wants something that's going to be that hedge. And yeah. there are times in, in, in people and clients I have that keep gold, silver in there, in their safes at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, as far as value and where you want cash to be, as long as inflation is outpacing interest rates, it's going to be Okay. So now we go into cash. Cash gets totally hammered. So before this episode, we listened to an, uh, a clip from, a phenomenal book, The Creature of Jekyll Island. If anyone hasn't listened to it, recommend it on audio. It's a long-ass book, but it goes into a hyperinflation scenario, and it's scary, right? Cash gets absolutely hammered. And if you, we'll share this chart in the show notes. If you go and look at a chart of the dollar's purchasing power since 1920, we talked about this earlier in the episode, I mean, it, it, it's totally wiped out. So one thing that it sort of sticks up with inflation over that time is 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds. Um, and then stocks totally outpace inflation, at least going back you know, 100 years. So cash going forward, you know, we're talking about the average person. Someone's got you know, $20,000, $30,000 of savings. They're not necessarily thinking about inflation, but they have to. it's something that should be on everybody's mind, right? If you have cash in the bank, there's so many better options to do with it, right? Yeah. And, and a lot of times, though, now people, I would say a lot of times have short short memories mm-hmm. where they forget about uh, they were made, made a mistake in the past, kind of burned by it. So people right now, I would argue more than almost ever, mm-hmm. there's still a ton of cash on the sidelines right now. Yeah. Uh, talking with Tyler Richard, I mentioned the analyst for the Severance Report, mm-hmm. he was saying that you know we're not any, he's not anywhere near, but about 10% at least room there to hit the end of this bullish market that we're in. I mean, there's still a ton of cash yeah. on the sidelines and people want to be liquid. And I think for where we are, I think it depends. Um, we have a ton of entrepreneurs, uh, business owners in this area that would rather have cash available to invest in themselves and yeah. grow the business yeah. a lot of times. But for your average investor, right, it's your 
nine to five and they want to, they have a 401 plan. They want to make sure that their money is not just sitting in cash. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's something where you keep an emergency fund typically three to six months mm-hmm. and then have it working for you. But it's got to be within that plan. It's like sitting at a blackjack table, man. You have someone who's playing with rent money. Mm-hmm. And if you lose that, it's bad. But if you're playing with money that you plan on, not that you plan on losing, but it's okay if you don't get it all back right away. Right. That's more, people don't just lose money in the markets. They pull out a lot of times. Yeah, of course. So that's more of, if you're going to be on cash, I'd say keep what you need for uh, an emergency fund and then see what you can do with the rest of it as long as it's built into that. Right. And I, you know, we of course have an affinity and, and experience only in our own generation. Right. But you and I both lived through 2001 dot com bust 2008 and that was that was pretty dramatic stuff i know i had a little bit of money in the market in 2001 not a lot but i had maybe you know two thousand dollars or something but it was enough to scare the shit out of you and then 2008 happened i remember i, I sold of course at the bottom and you know for people that that went through that and it's not just our generation you go back to our parents generation there was there wasn't you know a clean slate there was i think 87 or whatever there was a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, I know at least from the people, a lot of people listening to this podcast, a lot of our friends that went through 2001, 2008, a lot of us got burned by it, right? Selling at the wrong time. It is scary. It's, it's scary. Even if, you know, even in down markets, it's scary to put money in when you know things are on sale, right? It's, what's interesting is, is everyone talk about this. You're going to sit back and look at this years from now and be like, I can't believe I was scared. Probably are doing that, that now, right? Yeah. In 2008, where, you know, picture this man. So let's say you're 59, 58, and you never really rebounds 401k where maybe you had most of your retirement assets. And then that happens. Yeah. You know, you have much less time to make up for your losses. So yeah. when we say in our 20s, 30s that, and you're we burned by that. Yeah. But the reality is, is that we had so much more time than a lot right. of those, those folks that were much older. I mean, that's the scary piece that everything that you've literally worked for is now potentially... You didn't just lose it. It wasn't on your terms. Mm-hmm. You know, now you could argue and say they should have been keeping that in, in a place where, hey, it's okay if it goes down for a bit. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is actually looking at it regularly, what you're doing. Yeah. So that's where, you know, you can get into all these things of, you know, what allocation should you be in? You have the robo-advisors. You have all these different types of things. But mm-hmm. consulting or planning with someone, whether it's a trusted advisor or sure. they have someone that you feel has knowledge base in that have a plan for what you're doing when you're actually going to have to use the money. Yeah. You know, we're talking about how to grow it on here. What you're going to see now, the biggest area of need, arguably in our country with all the baby boomers retiring, it's not going to be growing. It's distribution. Mm-hmm. How are you actually going to use it? Mm-hmm. Imagine having a really nice car in the garage and you can't drive it. That's how a lot of people feel mm-hmm. because most money is in qualified dollars. Mm-hmm. You don't know what taxes are going to do, whether it comes in or not. And the reality is that every advisor has talked about how to keep money in their wirehouse, how to grow it, and it's probably spent less than 10 minutes on average with their person of how they're actually going to use Makes sense. what they've saved up. Mm-hmm. And accountants, their job is to what? Lower tax, taxes today. Yep. But as you look forward and you're actually going to use that money, now you have Social Security, right? Whether it's there for us or not, probably something. Uh, but if people are retiring now, mm-hmm. now they're going to have Social Security, 401k, their IRA, and then by the way, age 70, that 401k that you may or may not want to use, that IRA you may or may not want to use, becomes an income distribution plan, whether you like it or not. Because Uncle Sam says, no, you have to take it. Yeah. So people spend so much time. And to be honest, and we, we talked about this before, it's like, it's kind of dogging my industry a bit. To be a good 
asset manager, a financial advisor, during times like we just have, especially the past eight years, it's not that hard. If you get people dollar cost averaging, saving, keep their expenses down, their money's gonna grow. Yeah. It's not that hard. The thing that takes a ton of time is the actual distribution of how you're gonna use this. But also, how, think about, do you know how advisors, a lot of them are paid? Uh, well, I know what was, well, I know they get their kind of flat fees, one, 1%, let's say, plus, a lot of times if they're putting people in mutual funds or certain types of products, they're getting a big kickback from that. Sure. And so assets under management, they're paid basically on assets they have mm-hmm. under their management. Now, if they're doing like a charge, of a, it's called hard dollar cost. Mm-hmm. You have hard dollar and soft dollar. Hard dollar is that fee that you brought up. So let's say they're charging one point, right? Yeah. So if they're charging that, a lot of times they're not taking a fee. You're just paying the cost of the fund, the um, kind of the back end cost to have the fund. Right, right. Uh, think about this. If advisors have spent, let's say a guy's in business 30 years, he spent his entire career gathering assets, investing and doing a good job. Now this guy has essentially, he wakes up. And by the way, this is, I do this for a living. This again. <laughs> so you wake up and now you have, you don't have to get out of bed and you still have that, that money coming in. Mm. What if now I took all of my clients or a large percentage of them and developed a systematic plan to pay you back, to use that money? What happens to my paycheck? I don't know. It goes down. I'm taking money out of my system right. and spitting it out to them, which so, is the whole point of what we're doing. Right, right, right. So when you say, well, why haven't why haven't had the, they had the conversation about distribution? Mm-hmm. It sounds a little cynical, but Got that's, it. that's the way that that works. Is if I, you built up 10 million that yeah. you brought up, it's yeah. hard to build up. Yeah. If I develop a plan for you to systematically take 600,000 out, or if there's interest, or what, what happened to you? To take food off your table. So that's what a lot of people understand. Realize how the guy gets paid. There's three ways. Assets under management, commissions, whether it's from a mutual fund, uh, insurance product, annuity. Mm. The third way is fee-based planning. Mm. So fee-based planning would be, hey, Sam, we're going to put a plan together. Uh, We're going to charge you a fee. So let's say it's five grand. No implementation necessarily, but I'm just give you a detailed plan of here's what to do. You're going to pay me. And now we don't have to implement it, but you're going to pay just right. like you would uh, an attorney a fee. That's not a, that's not, is that fiduciary or, is, or not fiduciary? So, well, depending now, the Department of Labor changes, uh, a lot more is going to fit under, fit under the scope of the fiduciary responsibility. Okay. But yes, CFP, financial planners and fee-based planning are fiduciary and financial advisors are fiduciary. Uh, now, and again, this is, because I don't know it 100% to speak on it, but with the Department of Labor changes, or something wouldn't necessarily be by the way of the law fiduciary is, hey, we um we go out and sell you a uh, a um, a life insurance policy or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always fit under that fiduciary. Got mutual it. funds even don't always fit under the fiduciary responsibility. It has to be at the time it was suitable at the time, but not necessarily ongoing. Got it. So you want to make sure you're working with someone who's a fiduciary. Okay, good stuff. All right, so let's go into so we talked about cash, cash equivalents, cash equivalents being you know like a CD or stuff, anything that's fixed can potentially get wiped out, especially in like a hyperinflation. We're talking two, three percent inflation. We're not talking Armageddon in two or three years. But there are some hyperinflation scenarios that could happen out there in the world. We're talking, you know, 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent. Germany in the 1920s, Zimbabwe used to have a trillion dollar bill. These things can happen. So we do want to be protected. And one of the ways I believe to protect it, some of the things, one asset class that I put money into this year, which I still don't fully understand, is tips, right? Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I forget what it stands for, uh, 
uh, inflation-protected securities. Mm -hmm. So that's supposed to track inflation. I have money in that. It's only been up, I think I've had it for 12 months, it's only up 0.5%, which sucks. Like I'm like, there's no way inflation is 0.5%, <laughs> right? I put this money into protecting against inflation, I guarantee street value money has gone up over that. But tips are supposed to protect you from inflation, right? Yeah, they, they, they increase with, uh, generally they go, they go by like the CPI, which mm -hmm. is the index that, that's that inflation index. Mm -hmm. uh, what a lot of times, if, if that goes up, touched on it before, the price of the face value, that's where that value is added. So your coupon doesn't go up, but your face value goes up. So the real important thing to remember with tips is that you're going to pay ordinary income tax on whatever that increases. So when you're talking about before offsetting those gains, mm -hmm. you just got to be careful. Okay. So tips, one of the things, uh, I was turned on to tips actually by the book, Money Master at the End by Tony Robbins. Again, I hate to talk, I almost talk about this on every other episode, but this really was one of the books. I know a lot of financial professionals will dog it and stuff. It just, for the average person that is not financially, especially not financially, technically, uh, you know, knowledgeable, it changes the way you think of it. And I was introduced to tips and reads both by this book. So I put money in tips. I think in a lot, a lot of people that Tony Robbins interviewed, they recommended in their model portfolios to put somewhere between five and 20% tips. So that's in my, in my Vanguard portfolio. That's what I have. I think I have 10%, 10, 10 tips. At least I know if in an inflationary environment, you should at least keep up with it. I don't know about the whole tracking BS jargon, but I'm kind of happy with that. You're hedging. I'm hedging. It, right. Next one, peer-to-peer -peer loans, which essentially is a bond in a sense. It's a loan. There's all types of platforms for peer-to-peer -peer lending. Right now, I'm using Peer Street, which is my preferable one, and Lending Club, which is also performing well. Again, we dog it a lot because it's unsecured, but a peer-to-peer -peer loan is a loan. So it's like a bond and you're going to carry some type of risk with that against inflation. So if you're making 5% and your money's tied up for two or three years and inflation's what, what have you, you know, you're talking about real returns of maybe nothing or low single digits, right? Even though you're getting maybe money right. to your pocket. But again, it goes back to purchasing power. Right, purchasing power. So again, peer-to-peer -peer loans, depending on the, the, the length, is more risky. If you, if you tie something up for 10 years, just like a typical bond, you know, inflation could go crazy in 10 years. We don't know. Uh, but it's better than cash in a bank, typically, right? Okay, next one. I know these are a couple of topics coming into your, you know, your sweet spot for sure. Annuities and life insurance. So fixed annuities, I look at those as kind of bonds because it's a fixed amount of interest. I'm making, I think on my five year, I'm making 3%. And I have to be honest, man, I think annuities get dogged a lot. We had uh, Stan the Annuitator Man on in episode four, one of our first episodes. Dude, it's, it's boring as hell, but it's one of my favorite investments because every year, I get a statement that says I got more money and I don't have to worry about the swings of the market. You know, I'm not looking at my, my, my brokerage accounts, the red, the green. I don't give a, I don't give a crap. I just, I, I, I'm getting money every month, every quarter, every year. It's not a ton, but it's reliable. It's consistent. And I have very little downside exposure, right? And fix. Yeah. Well, other than, you know, the thing with, with fix where it's like the bond, same risk, you know, if you lock in a, uh, one to two percent. When I first, so I guess it was maybe 2010, 2009, I remember uh, fixed news you were looking at were a point and a quarter, I think. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, locking in point and a quarter for any amount of time, <laughs> right? You're, you're 
you know, that there's a risk associated with a liquidity risk where mm-hmm. there's another potentially yeah. better opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, inflation risk. So it just, it, with fixed annuities during this time, it's tough. During inflationary, you have rates rising, inflation rising. Uh, I think that you have the same risk that you have to look at with you would with a bond, with okay. a fixed coupon. Yeah. Um, so that's where like a variable annuity comes in. So now... Well, I've heard variable annuities are like four-letter words. What do you mean? I don't know. I've just heard variable annuities. I, that's just been the talk on the streets. Help set it straight. So, so I think that um, I, for the longest time, uh, I probably was not that big on annuities. A lot of them are very high fees, very high expenses. Uh, not necessarily good for a long-term investment. You read Tony Robbins' book, which I have. Right. He talks about. Uh, he's big on some annuities, but some of those he's not big on high fees. Wasn't he the yeah. one that was dog and variable? Annuities certain or? ones. He, yeah. he really likes in, indexed annuities, right. which that personally, uh, that's another episode maybe, but I'm not big on those. Because that, that sounds too good to be true. Indexed he, universal life insurance. You know, the things with the indices are relatively new, so they're not proven yet. Mm-hmm. But with variable, it follows the market. It's the same thing. So you have a sh- uh, the shell of the annuity, the wrapper, if you will, of the annuity. So the annuity is essentially creating a pension, mm-hmm. right? So now, in large part, over the next few years, we talked about the distribution plan. That's going to be a huge demand coming up. Mm-hmm. So with that, in large part, people are retiring without pensions. You know, our grandparents. Yeah, your grandparents, parents, yeah. They worked for Ford. They worked for these big companies. They had pensions. 30 years, go watch on a pension, right? And it's probably about 90 cents on the dollar, 98 cents on the dollar that they're actually taking home between Social Security and their pension. You don't have that anymore. So annuities came out to recreate that. So what has happened now, they weren't very competitive. Mm-hmm. They were charging and kind of hiding a lot of those fees. Over the past few years, there's been this kind of resurgence of very, very competitive annuities. And Barron just came out with, uh, it was probably about three months ago, give or take, uh, top 50 list of mm-hmm. variable annuities. Mm-hmm. It'll lay out right there, their fees, performance, etc. So I just think that if you're going to look at something like a fixed annuity, which again, it's not managed fund, it's fixed. So it will just by its nature have lower fees. Mm-hmm. If you're going to look at keeping pace with inflation, a variable annuity, you said stocks, right? Syllogism, right? right? So if stocks are better in inflationary times than fixed or cash, then an annuity that's going to be in stocks would be better than one that's fixed, right? Right. One thing's true, then the other has to be true. So the thing that will eat away at that, which is why I think to your first point, they developed a bad rap was four or 5%, imagine you have four or 5%. So you have a variable annuity. Yeah, we earn 7%, but by the way, we're charging you. Uh, 450 basis points. Okay. You know, your actual net return right there, I mean, two and a half percent. So that's what you have to look out for. And that's what you're seeing now. Companies, and especially again with the Department of Labor changes, mm-hmm. having to come out with more competitive products. So I think for the right fit, yeah, uh, it could be a really great hedge and recreate that pension mm-hmm. and that guaranteed income. Okay. So let's break that down because I think I may have missed it. But I have, so I have two market links in annuities. And again, I was turned on to these by the book, Mm -hmm. Money Master of the Game, which he kind of makes that like the focal point of his book in the end. It's like, this is the greatest thing since whatever, sliced Mm -hmm. bread. So I have two of those. Honestly, I don't even know how they work. But in episode four with Stan the Annuity Man, he's like, listen, you know, annuity companies have big buildings for a reason. They're not dumb. They're not giving you you know, a free pot of gold. Like they, they make money. They're there to make money. You that hat on right now, just picturing you love the pot of gold. Got my, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll include a, a photo of the show notes. But 
regardless, I have these things. And I just, I have this preconception that the way that these things are structured, let's just say it's market, it's linked to the S&P 500. I don't know how much upside I'm supposed to get. I know I have zero downside, but there has to be a way that they rig it to their, you know, to their own performance. So whether it's they, they track the S&P each month or whatever, but I know anyways, point is I have one that over the last year, I know the market's been up substantially. It says that the market was up you know, 1.6%. And of that, I got like 40%, which on a $60,000 annuity meant I made literally like $150 or some, some crap, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how, how is that possible? You know, if I put that six, same 60K in the market over the last year, I would have made six grand. And in this, I made a couple hundred bucks. So it's obviously, you know, it's curtailed somehow to their, to their benefit. The, the, without citing anything specific, specific companies or anything, the one thing that I've seen and heard, but again, experience with is where a lot of, and some of those, they'll say it's a, you'll have, there's a difference. So when you have money in a, would you say market or brokerage, you said something. Like sure. That. Yeah. So that money, you have it on there. If you sell it minus any fees for selling, that's your dollars. Mm-hmm. In annuities, a lot of times you have credits. Mm-hmm. And the credit that you have in there compared to what dollars you have in there can be two different numbers. So I'm just finding that that's very, very convoluted. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they have it's called phantom accounts. So I'm not speaking to yours. or yeah. I just think that there's a lot of fine print. And one of the rules that I've had since day one, I got this from my dad, actually. It's, if you can't explain it and understand it simply mm-hmm. and or you wouldn't do it yourself, don't bother. There's enough things to do out there and enough people that will buy into what you believe in. So a lot of those, I don't even, I don't deal with. The fixed ones are easy. I mean, that's yeah, literally yeah. like a bond. Some of those index ones, I'm not as familiar with, but I know with variable ones, essentially, fundamentally, the way they work is this. The whole point of an annuity is to create that pension. Right. Now, if we could sit, instead of being a fixed product, we can have something that keeps pace better with inflation, right. like the stock market. Wouldn't that make more sense? Right. Well, now we just have to make sure from a fee structure standpoint, and I think it, you want it to work like someone promises it will. I think that's the biggest. Right. Yeah. I think is the most common sense part, but it's it's not. Makes sense. So before we talk about life insurance, I want to go into we had Simon Black on, awesome guest, oof, a few months ago. Actually, I was in I was in Europe when we recorded. Great episode, and he talks about private businesses being his favorite asset to invest in. Obviously, because he's you know privileged to be in a lot of inner circles and great networks to have good investment opportunities. But he says in it, you know, a private business investment works in just about any type of economic environment, right? In inflationary, it's an asset. It grows in value. In a deflationary, it spits off tons of cash. In a recession, you can look forward to it because if you're a well-run business, you can look forward to your competitors potentially going out of business. And in good environments, the business is successful, spits off cash, and can grow in value. And I think if you at least look at a typical private business, let's say it's a brewery, pretty hot, trendy, trendy market right now. In an inflationary environment, it should work, right? Like it's an asset. You have a brewery, you have infrastructure. That's an asset. It should go up in price. You have beer you're selling. If prices go up, your beer goes up. It should at least stay consistent with purchasing power, right? Yeah, but there's so many other variables. <laughs> so right? many other businesses. How do you know the guy running is not a drunk? Why am I not uh, thinking about a, why am I thinking about a brewery as first? You know, <laughs> so, first so, I think when it, fundamentally what you just said is all accurate. Mm. But what comes in, I say, but because there's so many other things that play into it. What if that guy's great, where you have it's the best beer you have? Yeah. 
And that guy necessarily run. What is the best for you? Uh, business. What's the best for you guy? I have to say, uh, Chris Volstad just opened up uh, civil society over in Abacoa. Good for him. And I just tried for the first time today. And lately, that's one of the best beers. So Chris Volstad is a he was a pitcher for the Miami for the Marlins for the Mar- Florida Marlins. Florida Marlins. Miami, yep. And if, if you look him up on YouTube, you'll see a flick. It's almost like Nolan Ryan, where the guy charges the mound and, and he stands his ground and, and just starts throwing bombs. Not quite like Nolan Ryan. Yeah. That's the best pitcher standoff maybe of all time. Uh, but he holds his own. Granted, he is. I mean, he, he talks. So. Yeah, and, and uh, in high school, this guy. I mean, he was a monster. I mean, he was tall, but he was literally skin and bone. So it's good to see him fill out and like and sit there and, and wait for some oh, some yeah. bully charge them out. Yeah. And, 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 you know, <laughs> and everyone, all this friends out here, loved it. Kind so, of wanted it. So that's cool. That's news to me. Open a brewery. That's yeah. awesome. Civil society, they're, they're fantastic in Jupiter. That whole area is um, coming back, which is great to see. But that was probably it's like a nice wheat style beer. It's delicious. Great lunch. A nice, a nice like grapefruit, fruity, really fruity with an umbrella or mm. something like no, that. No, 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 not fruity. Not, not fruity. fruity. Not fruity. Yeah, but it was delicious. Two percent alcohol or, or more. I would say more. I'd say probably five to six. Okay, fine. Solid, solid beer. That's yeah. a manly beer. Yeah, it was good. Because I'm used to like the two to threes with an umbrella, a little bit of a pink flavor to them, pink color. Yeah, no, no doubt. No. Um, and so, so <laughs> getting back to that, you know, it comes to this, man. This is something that someone shared with me maybe a month or two ago, I wish I had thought this way early on. Home run dot. Everyone's talking about rate of return. My greatest potential. I mean, this is what we're talking about on the show. Where can money, where can I put my money to grow? Home run opportunities are easy to find. They're easy to find. Now, successful ones may be harder, but how many businesses right now, do you know, Sam, that need money and could use funding? Uh, all of mine, first off. <laughs> and... <laughs> and how about, how about we just start there? Oh, do you want to invest? <laughs> <laughs> so they all, invest your clients' show. money. Right? No, no, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we're thinking over a bottle of scotch. The home run opportunities to seek out mm-hmm. are actually easy to find. There is someone, you go stand in West Palm and start up Palm Beaches here now. Um, I mean, there are opportunities everywhere. Right. The challenge, the hardest part is not finding home run opportunities. It's finding safe dollar opportunities. That's true. Finding where do I not want to lose my money? So, to your point, yeah, there's a great opportunity to go invest with, you know, your friend uh, Joe Blow into his business venture. Mm-hmm. But now, what have I done? I've given up my liquidity. I put it in someone else's hands. Now, unless maybe if I have ownership or I have say in the business, mm-hmm. that all depends. But I think that again, things on the surface a lot of times sound great and fundamentally should work, mm-hmm. but but they oftentimes don't. A lot goes into it. The example I use analogy as it comes to health. Uh, as it relates to money is, is health is that fundamentally, right? Let's do a little test right here. I have a pencil for this. If, if someone was overweight and wanted to lose weight, what would you tell them? To do? They wanted to lose weight. What would you tell them? Honestly, I would just be straight up and say eat less. Eat less? Okay. So let's say eat let better diet. We'll categorize that diet. What else? Walk to work instead of drive. Active or walk as, yeah, walk as much as possible. Um, you know, fitness. Exercise regularly. Exercise regularly. And I, I don't know. Three. Those are the three. Okay. Yeah. I would I would even say just to add drink water. Drink water. And sleep. Good Five Why days. Sleep? You need sleep. To burn with that. To improve science. Yeah. So well, sleep. You need rest. You know what, Michael? Your body Michael. actually creates that stuff in the stomach area. Um, there's a name for it. It's when stress releases. Uh, but Estro- estrogen. <laughs> different. Does your nipples. But <laughs> yeah. uh, so around and that's what causes that uh, that belly that tire. Okay. So uh, I'll think of it in a minute. and I'll come back. You're to not you. trying to say. No, no, no. You're fit. That's why I asked you. Yeah. If you're overweight, I wouldn't. Yeah. So those five things, right? 40 to 50 billion 
a year is spent on exercise and fitness mm-hmm. every year in the U.S. Forty fifty billion. You just name five. You name three things, which by the way were all correct. That cost other than if you're food right. that, that anyone can do. Mm-hmm. Yet forty to fifty billion is spent. So of the easy way that everyone wants the easy way. So if it's so simple, why are we making? I think the financial industry as a whole has become Got it. that. So the best financial advice I've probably ever gotten was two things. One is pay yourself first, right? Yeah. I don't, people say, oh, don't save. But save, whether you're saving for yourself or saving to invest, yeah. save money, it's a habit, it's yeah. behavior. Yeah. You'll never have money if you don't get good habits. Uh-huh. The reason why people win the lottery or broke and gone yeah. after a year. The other is spend less than you make. Those are things that are not selling tickets to this, but those are things where Easy stuff, what yeah. you just told me about exercising, and it's boring with people. It takes work, man. Yeah. It takes work. I'll tell you one other thing on the uh, fat loss thing. I don't know where I heard this, it was, but it makes it makes sense. It's Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, they couldn't figure out how he's burning so many calories. They're like, he's swimming so many laps a day. It's because he was in a pool. He was cold all day. And when your body's cold, it burns more calories. So well, you see that freeze? They freeze the fat off? They freeze like cellulite off? You've seen that, right? I've not seen that video. Oh, is, that, yeah. is that what you do all day in the office? You look at these, <laughs> these weird freezing fat off no, videos? there's a billboard for it. Oh, God. There's a weird billboard in South Florida if anyone has to take a drive. <laughs> all right. So we have two more asset classes to cover as we round out the episode. Okay. So we talked about private businesses. We'll throw startups into that. The only thing, the only caveat I would say to private businesses is if they're debt heavy, you know, inflation can inflation could rise interest rates you know you, you got to be careful same with reads okay so two other ones cryptocurrencies we talked about this a little bit we had a, a cryptocurrency expert in the room before i spilled <laughs> the scotch on my computer which is now broken you think i just turned them off you think that's why you left real life you just for i think he was embarrassed but <laughs> i wonder if i can re-gift this to somebody and say oh you know i bought it for you it doesn't work i'm so sorry it was a nice gesture uh, so cryptocurrencies I would class it like gold. I mean, it's a, it's basic, it's an asset. It's an unproductive asset, but if prices rise, more money is flowing out of banks into other potential assets. I would think that this, this would potentially rise as well. I would say that my disclaimer, it's, it's, it's too volatile mm-hmm. and it's really unestablished to, to really say either way. I think there's people just like anything that can, can probably convince anyone, myself included, maybe why, some of the points about it would make sense, but I think it all goes back to has it been yeah. proven to you, you tow the safe line, buddy. I lost a lot of money in cryptocurrency. I think <laughs> a lot of people know I, uh, I had money in Mt. Gox, about $40,000 worth of Bitcoin, and I was having dinner with my buddy. And he goes, hey, man, good to see you, bro. Did you hear the news about Mt. Gox, man? Yeah, they're going out of business. And I almost threw up at the table. I Googled it immediately. Bankrupt. Everyone who had money in they lost like five hundred million dollars worth of, of Bitcoin. It's it's it just leaves us very sour. Cortisol. Cortisol is the, the way your body releases. Right. So cortisol, the stress that yeah. gives you a tire. Oh yeah. But you're pretty in shape. For that travels, I was wondering how do you stay in shape? What do you do? I make kickbox, which I don't know if you really do or you just take pictures there, either way. Like, uh, I just take the photos. I can't lift my head above my But what my do you waist. do? We take, do you know, what do you do to stay in shape like when you're traveling? Well, I would say that just to to play on that note, I, I, I basically, I mean, we travel, we're traveling, we're not in the same place more than a week, Yeah, but we we eat light, we, I, I drink tons of water, like you said. I think the biggest thing that helped with my diet is four hour work week. Now again, I listen to an audio, You can, it's full of fluff, but a couple key things, don't drink fat. So it's like, don't drink soda, don't drink lemonade, 
And I drink water all day. I have coffee. I don't have milk. I don't have sugar. Coffee's good for your metabolism. And at night, I, I mean, honestly, this is one of my New Year's resolution, but I have a drink almost every single night. But I think it's typically red wine. I think that helps a lot with metabolism. So lots of water. So you're supposed to just continue drinking every night? No, it's, it's not drink every oh, night. Okay, okay. I'm trying to cut, cut down on coffee and, coffee and, and uh, you know, I don't consider, what I drink is, what I drink is, what I drink is so minimal and I have a glass of wine or two a night, but I can still consider that drinking, right? Gotta count it, gotta count it. So, no, and then push up sit ups and if I get a pull up bar, I pull up. That's easy stuff. Yeah, you're in great shape too, but you're, you're more buff than I mean, me. I'm not traveling, I'm not traveling, right? That's, it's more of at this point, uh, stress release and it's just more of a thought and as you and i'm sure you see this too it's there's a lot of noise around us mm. and uh it's almost like for the mind it's like a, a kind of a weird meditation to be able to do it i like it so two other asset classes real quick one is alternative real assets like rare art rare cars domain names i think those all perform well in an inflationary environment they all go up as currency declines generally so are we going to go out and buy a uh, custom uh, you know if you buy a new ferrari it's going down in price but if we buy a 1967 Shelby Mustang, we're balling. I get calls all the time for, for uh, like the Porsches. I always get calls on. Uh, man, Ryan Beckett's called me a couple times about that. He got a, he's got an old Porsche? He wants to, and he calls me, and I, I can't tell if it's to rationalize and substantiate why he should or shouldn't do it. Yeah. But um, I don't think he cares either way. I think he just, you know, sounding bored, and when he's ready, he talks himself through it. But, yeah. But, uh, but no, vintage cars. The guy the other day went and bought a... Um, Challenger, maybe something, something of that restored muscle car, yeah. and he's turned around and sold it six months later for ten grand profit. I mean, some good people just—that sounds good, like fundamentally, but everyone can do that. No, exactly. Oh, he's a, he's a pretty cool guy. He, uh, he, last time we met with him, he was outfitting an Airstream, and oh, that's back I love that. He didn't sell the car for ten. Different guy did, but yeah, that could, yeah, he's uh, he's got projects. That's cool. Last asset class: life insurance. And actually, that's why we popped the bottle of scotch because life insurance is so boring that we had to dress it up somehow, mm -hmm. right? So that's. <laughs> so I know you're a bit of a life insurance expert. Tell us about how that that can work in an inflationary environment and as a general asset class. Sure, there's a few different kinds. Uh, generally speaking, you know, you have things like Sam's referring to is more of like it's called they're called permanent insurance. Some people call it whole life. People like it's lumped into a lot of different kinds of life insurance <laughs> categories in and of mm -hmm. itself, but really let's just call it permanent and term. So term insurance is like rent, mm -hmm. right? Put money towards it. There's no value built up, strictly debt value. That's why it's there. Mm -hmm. Life insurance from a tax code standpoint, permanent life insurance has, has been blessed for a long, long time that the money that grows in there, you can actually grow tax deferred, mm -hmm. not pay tax. And if you do it correctly, you can actually access the growth tax rate. Same with Annuities, right? A lot of annuities. Well, annuities will have what's called an exclusion ratio to where what you've put in, the payments once you annuitize it, right? So you start receiving your payments yeah. for whatever it is for your life. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that payment's going to be return capital. Part of that's going to be growth. So you're going to be taxed on a portion of it, not all of it. So this is what's different is you can actually access life insurance. You can access your your uh, what you put in your principal first, mm -hmm. which is pretty unique. And you can take loans against it, but the point from a from an asset standpoint is it's more about the company you're with. So there's mutual companies and there's stock companies. Typically, your stock company has you know, two heads that it serves. It has shareholders and it has policy owners. Yeah. So you have to make quarterly goals as a as a stock company. Shareholders are receiving more of that uh, the attention there. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at mutual companies, what they do they're essentially owned by the policy owner. 
So the types of dividends that they pay are going to be significantly higher than those of a stock right. company. Yeah. So as they're not directly correlated, but think of how an insurance company is invested. Uh, 80 to 87% is in things like 10, 30 or fish treasuries, bonds, yeah. things that are more safe. So they're going to, their return essentially is going to mirror interest rates. So as interest rates go up, there will be some drag, but one of those companies, those mutual companies, their dividend will also increase. The downside with those though, there's really two main ones that stick out. One would be you have to be healthy or else you can't do it. It may not make sense because insurance costs are going to be too high. And also you have to give up liquidity in the beginning. And if you're not comfortable with that, then you wouldn't do it. So I don't think that's any different necessarily than if you're putting money in a retirement account or even a stock account. If the market goes down, you don't want to access the money. Right. To your point before, a startup company. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and the analogy that you had like when you were talking was, you know, if you look at a football team, okay, and you look at the draft that everyone watches, most of the time, who do they get excited about seeing up there? Quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. That's who, think about it. That's who you get excited about. And that's who, even when you watch, people watch the big plays and big hits. That's it. The highest paid player on the football field is Quarterback. Quarterback. Second highest paid player, most people don't know. Coach, not a player. Left tackle. Left tackle. Protects your investment. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at it from, and again, we talked before with advisors a lot of times, there's, there's all this jargon to sound, hey, we want to increase alpha, let's, let's reduce tax track. Mm-hmm. Don't understand. Like, what the yeah. hell does that mean? Yeah. So when we use, I think it's important to talk, get a level of understanding first, then if you want to break it down, you can. Mm-hmm. But you have your safe dollars, and then you have your home run dollars, mm-hmm. right? So the analogy of baseball, home runs are great, singles and singles and doubles all day. Win the game. That's it. So and I, you, I, I was a single it. guy. I couldn't hit. I couldn't hit past the, the outfield, anyways. So, so I think that with all of this stuff, it kind of, I think it all circles back to there's pros and cons to all of them. Life insurance is no different. It can keep pace with inflation in a sense of there may be there will be drag, but if it's with a good mutual company, yeah, the dividend rate is going to increase as rates and inflation increases. Sure. Uh, but you have to make sure that you know how you can get to the cash, how it works. And also the other thing I would say is uh, typically it's going to be not just one of these. And I think people ask themselves the wrong question. What I hear daily to weekly, what's the best thing I can do? Heck, the podcast, right? I tell you, what's the best one of these that we should do during inflationary times? Right. It's not going to be one thing. It's going to be a combination because in some environments, right, when we're investing in the stock market during that bullish time mm-hmm. and we're increasing value of beating inflation, there's going to be a point where those dollars are no longer our best performing. Sure. We want safe dollars so that not only we can access and need, or I'm sorry, if we need them, now that enhances the rate of return on our other investments. Why? Mm. Because we can leave them in there. Mm. We don't have to pull out. So I think people look at things That's as what she said. a substitute. The couch pulls out, I don't. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> people, that's the investment strategy. I think the people look at it as what's, what's the best thing that I can do it's more of for what I want, what my goals are, mm-hmm. when I need the money, what's going to be the best combination, not should I do this or this, but this and this, how do they complement each other? How can I access them? And over the long haul, you have to be contributing and saving to these things. It's really the only way they're going to perform. There's no more, there are, I mean, everyone wants to get rich quick, everyone wants to overnight, but same as hell. It's not how it is. Very well said to finish up my last tip so, of. Scotch, my man, what are you doing to finish up the holidays? Any plans? My wife is calling me actually right now. Um, I didn't take into account uh, your Scotch bill. 
for Anthony in the snowman suit. Yeah, that was, that, a big, took, that, was a, that was a that was a delight. Took an extra hour, so we have uh, just hanging out uh, this weekend here, and then uh, we'll be in Tampa for New Year's and uh, snowman. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you for joining us on the show. It's been a delight. A lot of good stuff that came out on this, including. A new Mac, I think, <laughs> for holidays. And myself, I haven't gifted myself this year, so. Well, listen, thank you for having me. And I will say one of the coolest things that, that you're doing that I've seen and we're seeing more of and throughout my company, too, they're doing it. We have uh, these podcasts that go on. It's the top guys across the country. And the thing I think you're doing is getting, you're not saying what people should and shouldn't be doing. You're making the information readily available mm. and people can filter it and research it themselves, man. And doing that from a very organic place. Uh, I think it's really fantastic. And it's not, not doing this for money. You're doing it to probably just spread the word of Sam Marks around, but I think it's fantastic because I really truly think that you want entrepreneurs and people like myself, you and your listeners to be able to do better because each of us needs all of us. And I, I really believe that. So thank you for putting information like this out. Well said. And I would just recommend next time you do a podcast, you should do video because you're such a stud, dude. <laughs> no, this guy is, me, this is one handsome dude. You my website, there's a video on there. And I asked my wife, I was like, what do you think of the video? And she's like, wow, this is good. I'm like, wait, 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 no, no, no. What do you mean? She goes, well, I don't like that shirt. I'm like, why? She's like, you still look like you have a You wore the flower shirt again, didn't you? No, no, it was, it was a light purple. It was a very light purple. With the flowers on it. Uh, it's your favorite shirt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the puffy shirt, right? The puffy shirt. <laughs> Leave a, we'll leave a, a link to your, your, what's the website? It's uh, david.siegel uh, and Enum? And we'll leave links to Okay, buddy. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for coming on show, my man. Man, even with those audio glitches, it was still such an interesting episode. I just kind of forced myself to listen through it because there's so many little points and golden nuggets that I wanted to hear. And I still feel like an ass and I still don't have my computer. But that's just one of those little things that always seems to happen at the end of a year. And you brush it aside and you say, you know what? Use that as an opportunity to buy yourself a new Mac for 2017. <laughs> nice. Uh, have you decided which Mac you're going to get? I think I'm just going to get the same one. My, my model was two years old, but had absolutely no problems with it. Loved it. So, yeah, stick with the same. Stick with what's good. What, what, which one was it? <laughs> I don't know. It was just a MacBook Pro with okay, a Retina. It's got yeah, the big a, memory. Okay. It was a 13-inch Retina probably, right? I don't think they, yeah, I don't think, they, I actually might get the bigger screen because I'm, I'm just on my computer, you know, nope. 10, 12, 14 hours a day in some cases. Yeah. And it's getting harder and harder to see the screen, man. My eyes, the, <laughs> the longer you stare at the computer screen, the worse your eyes get. So yeah, I might have to upgrade, you know, it's like my parents, they have to now get the biggest phone possible and they have to get the screen customized to get the big letters, you know? <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Well, you can always get a second monitor, but I'm happy with my 13-inch MacBook Air for now. Uh, I really wanted the new Pro, but it sucks. Something's going to wait a year or two for it to get better. Uh, but I heard, yeah. <laughs> regardless of that, let's, uh, let's do a little recap of the episode because I think there was a lot of cool st- things in there. Uh, so David Siegel's website is davidsiegel.nm as in northwesternmutual.com. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes of Invest Like a Boss, episode 35. Johnny, a good place to start out, I I think for the recap, is just what, like your personal portfolio and your personal planning on the financial side. How often, if any, do you think about inflation? And if so, like, are you planning for that? You know, honestly, I I didn't really think about it at all before uh, because – in my mind, inflation is this slow thing that's always, you know, a few percent, 
that we don't really have to worry about that much. But actually, after this episode, it made me think a lot more about it. And it made me think which one of my investments are going to, you know, are going to grow along with inflation and which ones are Mm -hmm. kind of like fixed returns, which wouldn't grow with it. So the things that I know are big dangers are my cash. Uh, you know, yeah. I have close to a hundred grand in cash in the bank right now, and I, the reason, you know, the reason why I have that is, first off, I want to be very liquid because I don't know what investment opportunities are going to come up this next year. Uh, second, this year for taxes is a little bit weird because I'm in the transition of moving everything, you know, moving the businesses uh, to you know either offshore or to you know. Uh, using like the the foreigner tax credits, things like that. So just mm-hmm. in case my accountant's like, hey, you know, you didn't qualify this year for you know all those tax savings, and you need to pay fifty grand, I want to be able to have that cash. Uh, yeah. And it's it's so it's good to have that money for expenses. I think in normal terms, the most cash I would ever actually have um, in a checkings account would or in liquid, you know, liquid savings account would be 50k. But right now I have mm-hmm. a little bit more than that and that worries me for inflation. Yeah, so I can give you a re- suggestion on that. I opened up a bank and it's an internet bank called GE Money Bank. It, it's now actually that was for General Electric. It's now owned by Goldman Sachs. It's the best bank I have in terms of just holding cash. It's so simple. You know, when you log into like Wells Fargo or Bank of America, there's a million different menus for everything that you could ever imagine. This is it's like got four buttons on it. It's literally just for holding cash in it and transferring it into other accounts. And it pays I think right now it pays one point one percent annually. So if you had one hundred K in that bank, you would get paid, you know, eleven hundred bucks a year. So it's like a hundred dollars okay. a month for you. It's, you know, it's like three lunches or whatever, but it, at least it, it's, it's something, uh, instead of just getting nothing on it. Right. And it's, it's the best online banking experience that I've ever found anywhere. Okay. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, we don't have to either look that up cause it, I, I don't even, I'm Googling it right now and I don't even see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see, I'll- I found the French version of it, but we can definitely take a look at that. And actually in the boss lounge, I'm sure there's going to be people who have ideas on what are good liquid savings accounts or liquid yeah. accounts we we can we keep keep our cash and still have access to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you're right. I'm I'm just leaving a thousand dollars on the table for no reason. Well, it's nice when you get that that even that little bit of money coming in is nice. You're like, oh, I can use this to go have a nice dinner with somebody, or you know, at, at least it's not yeah. eroding away totally, right? Or I can live for an entire month in Chiang Mai. <laughs> oh, back to your uh, six hundred dollar uh, a month living expenses. Yeah, well, even now I'm only spending maybe twelve hundred dollars a month, and I'm doing whatever I want to do. So it's, I think it's yes. just it's just so cheap to live here that it's not a big deal. Where are you, by the way? You're in Cuba over Christmas or New Year's? Uh, I just got back last night, and honestly, I'm I'm very <laughs> very thankful and happy to be back. I can definitely see the appeal of Cuba to a lot of people. For me, it was it was not. It was one day, twenty four hours. It's basically classic cars, mojitos, cigars, and after twenty four hours, I'm like, that's that's enough. You know, it's got nice beaches, but I have nice beaches in Florida and and so many other places. So, I actually have a, a quick story about it that was kind of crazy how it happened. And there's there's a, a point to this story. But yesterday, I, I go to the airport 
And I had called American Airlines and I said, I need you to change my ticket uh, because it's from a, a different airport outside of Havana. So I need you to be, just be changed to Havana same same time, same day. They had the same flight at the same airport, just a different uh, just a different airport about 50 miles away. Okay. So they confirmed that they changed it. I go to the airport and they had and you know they can't find my reservation and there's no way to pull up a reservation because there's no internet right there's no internet in wow. cuba like you you only have internet at like three locations in havana that i found and it's like ten dollars an hour and you know it's it's really highly unreliable so you get to the airport i can't pull up my reservation finally they find it they had changed the reservation to G, to june 1st instead of january 1st right the the flights are totally booked and i have no money and I didn't, I didn't even research before I went to Cuba. I just, you know, my buddy kind of set up the trip. I didn't, I just brought like a thousand dollars in cash. I spent it all. I get to the airport. I have no money. And they're like, you know, if you're, you're trying to fly to any destination in Florida, it could be three days before we can get you out. I'm like, three days? Are you like, are you serious? I'm like, there must be something you can do, right? And the, there's only one guy working. The, you've never seen an airport run so badly as Havana Airport. Wow. It's, it's like okay. no place you've ever been. I'm talking immigration lines, two and a half hours, very few flights, just very slow you know, pace to the entire thing. No internet. Like the bathrooms, you don't want to step foot in there. But now I'm in a position. I have I have no money. I have there's zero way to get money. So I can't go to a bank machine and use my bank card. No places take credit card. So all of a sudden it just dawned on me. I'm like, I could be here for three days. I have no way to eat, no, no way to sleep anywhere, right? And I go up to the teller, the guy, and I'm like, listen, man, are you telling me like if I can't get out of here for three days, I'm an American, I have no money. It's literally impossible for me to eat or get a hotel or anything. He's like, that's what I'm telling you. And he goes, it's insane, right? I'm like, yeah, that's insane, right? And wow. it was such a vulnerable feeling that it really just put everything in life in perspective for like, you know, for that, for that one hour where I was just sitting there, I'm like, I don't have a, I don't have a computer. I don't have internet. I don't have a way to contact anyone. I don't have a way to access cash. I don't have a way to even access food. I wasn't like scared for my life in a sense, but it made me feel extremely out of control and yeah and at that very moment it was kind of coincidental i was i was finishing up mj demarco's book millionaire fast lane and it was hitting on a chapter that was talking about the big core uh, premise of the book is are you in the fast lane or are you, are you in the typical slow lane slow lane being get a job save your money grow it at seven percent and hope for you know, a, a, a beautiful retirement when you're 65 or 70 and can't even enjoy it. Right. And he's, okay. you know, he was talking about the slow lane, you're dependent through life. You only have hope that you maintain a job and you have hope that your money grows at seven or 8%. Right. But you, you're not in control In the fast lane, you're in control, you have flexibility and you have independence. You know, if you, if you make good decisions and you, you fo follow a kind of a, an orthodox path that we're often talking about, which is gaining your financial freedom. And yes. I, for that, for that moment, when I was at that Cuba airport, I, I just felt I had no control. I only had hope that they're going to find a way to get me on a flight that someone's going to, you know, give me money for food or, or I'm going to run into somebody. And it was just, it was a feeling like I hadn't felt in so long because of you know, we've worked really hard the last decade of our life to, to try to get in a position of control and independence that we have, you know, that we've achieved now. But when I was there, you know, it was it was a really uncomfortable feeling and it, it kind of put everything in perspective.
Yeah, I can see that definitely being a wake-up call, especially because mm-hmm. it's something that you're not used to because you're used to having easy access, uh, internet everywhere, and cash to be able to, to, you know, like literally when was the last time you went into a restaurant or store and you couldn't afford something there or you had yeah. to like really, you know, like even really think about it that hard? Yeah, I mean, there was just, it was a feeling of having no options and it was, everything was out of my control. So luckily what happened, the guy that, was not being helpful at all and said it was going to take three days to get me on a flight. He left. I was sitting at the airport just by myself on the ground. And one of the other guys that took his, uh, his, his new shift came over to me and was like, Hey, don't worry, buddy. I'm going to get you on. I'm going to get you on this, uh, this 6 PM flight. So I was at the airport from 6 AM all the way to 6 PM, just sitting there basically hopeless. And that this guy insane. showed up and was like, I'm going to get you on this flight. And I think what he did, I think he literally just put me on the flight and bumped somebody else because the flights were all totally full for three days. And I was, I was on standby, but no one canceled. I think he just felt really bad. It's like, I'm going to bump somebody else, make them wait because you've already waited the whole day. And I see your, your situation is a little bit desperate, right? So that's so crazy, man. That is insane. So guys t- take, take control, <laughs> right. Of all, all aspects of your life. Um, and it, it's another, uh, I guess I'll, I'll give a, a quick plug to, uh, to MJ DeMarco's book, Millionaire Fastlane. It's a really good book. It touches on, it's so relevant for our group in really just taking control of your financial future. It's not the four hour work week. It's, you know, it's the, it's the, uh, the 80 hour work week, but for three years, you know, get rich while you're young, get control of your financial future while you're young, not when you're 65 or, or trying uh, to retire at a much later age. Yeah, I like it. You know, th- this would have been a great travel like a boss episode, which is, I was just thinking as you were talking about that, that story. Well, why don't you go down to Cuba and make your own story? <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> don't not take, do it. Don't take too much money with you. Just uh, see how, how far you can get on $300 and see if you, <laughs> how, how to get home. Yeah. Traveling like a boss. I was, at, I was so desperate. At one point, I was like, I'm just going to go see it because it's basically 70 miles from the Keys. I was like, I'm just going to go and see if I can find like a boat and I had four cases of Cuban cigars. I was like, try to trade my Cuban cigars for a ride to the Keys or something. I didn't. I was feeling very desperate. That, that, <laughs> oh, how much were those Cuban cigars worth? I'm not going to tell you because I'm planning on gifting them to you. So, are you? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that, buddy. But no, <laughs> it was about a hundred dollars for a pack of twelve. So they're not not super cheap, but more of a you know, a little prized possession, I yeah. guess. But it, it's it's kind of ironic that you had like hundreds of dollars, you know, if not a thousand dollars worth of Cuban cigars being stuck that in was, Cuba. And you, that and was you the only, eat. that was the only material good that I had that I could have potentially bartered with because I didn't have a computer, right? So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have anything of value except maybe my iPhone. Um, and yeah, so interesting stuff um very interesting life buddy buddy. so i'm glad you're safe i'm glad we're able to talk about these 14 asset classes (laughs) (laughs) so to kind of wrap it up do you look at any of your investments or inflation differently after doing this episode yeah it's, it's a growing concern i have i don't know if there's anything i need to do differently so i'm not concerned about the the potential of two or three percent inflation for the next five years. What I'm worried about is some major geopolitical event that causes hyperinflation in the U.S. And again, you guys can can listen. I would recommend listening to Creature of Jekyll Island on audio. It's a really long book, but towards the end, I think it's chapter 15. They talk about that hyperinflation scenario. What could cause it? Uh, I won't spoil it all, but that is what's scary because that's when 
you know, if we hit, if we had a, a hyperinflation scenario of 10, 15% plus a year, that's when you start getting, you know, really, really eroded on your, on your wealth and, and, and any type of paper currency or anything fixed in us dollars. Right. So that's more mm-hmm. what I'm, I'm planning for to try to hedge against situations like that. But the two to 3% stuff, I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm about as, is content with my portfolio as I guess I, I could be. Okay. Definitely makes sense. I think the more I think about this, things like even following the stock market with my, my Vanguard funds feels a lot more safe in a lot of these, uh, you know, these possible scenarios, because if there is hyperinflation, uh, it sounds like, and hopefully my, the stock market will follow suit with it. So yeah, it would be things like it would, cash would be the worst, I guess. And then you have things like our lending club accounts where you like one good thing with Pier street, I think both of our accounts are set up for like 12 months. So if, if inflation mm-hmm. started kind of roaring back, we could just not auto reinvest that money and put it into something else. But with lending club, the terms are three years, right? So if it started roaring yeah. back, we couldn't do anything. We just have to sit there and wait. Uh, and you, you don't know what's, what's going to happen with those, those bonds. Some of them go, could default, but even if, if we're making 4% or 5% and inflation's higher than that, then it, it starts to hurt. But yeah, that's true. The only thing else I'm locked in, uh, for a few years on is my fundrise account. Uh, but I think for that, it's because, well, I, I guess there's two parts of it. There's the growth with the income rate. So the income rate, just like my, um, my peer street account is fixed where, you know, whatever that percentage is, let's say 8%, even though that's great when there's very low inflation or manageable inflation, that becomes terrible if there becomes, you know, higher than 8% inflation. Um, but the other side of it, which is actually what I've been funding the most on Fundrise uh, is the growth rate, which even though I believe it's like a five year hold, because that is, you know, real estate and, and it's equity, uh, if there is inflation, the house value should increase as well. That's and therefore, it should be fine. Yeah. And I, th- I actually think on the income rate that's paying, I think right now we're getting, they just declared dividend 11.4%. Uh, yeah, 11.4%. It's insane, right? Mm-hmm. So awesome job, Fundrise. And I'm not sure how that's exactly structured, but if we're basically the lenders in that sense, and if we're lending, if int- inflation's going up, that may also indicate that interest rates are going up. And if interest rates are going up, if what we're lending is variable, then it means I, I don't that think we it should, is. I, I, I think, think it's fixed. fixed. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's a question a question for Fundrise to clear up. But yeah, so you'd be you'd be correct. Uh, if there any if if it was variable and it could tick up, then we could just expect a higher return. But uh, but eleven point three percent, I think we have a pretty good buffer. Yeah, you know what actually would be really interesting is to find an investment that has variable interest rates because just like how you know pe- pe- the borrowers you know kind of got screwed when interest jumped up, uh, I'm sure the lenders, as long as people weren't defaulting, were very happy when you know mm-hmm. when, when that jumped up. So I wonder if there is you know if there is, there are still investments out there that have this variable rate where you can possibly make a huge upside if it does go up. Well, one thing we touched about on uh, in the episode with Dave was that some of these products like annuities and life insurance, they have an inflation protected element to them. You have to pay a little bit extra, but uh, I actually just redid a bunch of my annuities with Stan the Annuity Man, and I'm getting 3.1%, which is, it's okay, right? It's uh, it's so safe for me. So I look at that as kind of like a bond, and I don't have to worry about the ups and downs of the markets. 
but you can add an inflation protected element to it. So for, I, I'm, I forget how much it costs. I can look into it. Uh, but that's a good, that's definitely a good option for long-term money. If you're going to put money in annuities for, you know, five or 10 years in a fixed contract, that definitely might be something that you would want to look into and consider. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So I think the, the number one takeaway, uh, out of, out of all the tips that, that I got from this episode, um, I definitely learned a lot about each class and it was nice to kind of have an overview again, especially from a financial planner's point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one takeaway that I really, really liked was what David mentioned. If you don't understand it, you shouldn't be investing in it. I agree. So if something is too complicated and you, you know, like obviously not going to understand everything, um, you know, just don't, you know, just by reading it. So sometimes you have to do a little bit more, you know, investigation, maybe, the, you know, a search a bit more, maybe ask in the boss lounge, maybe listen to an episode about it. But then even if, even if you do your, you know, you, you educate yourself and you still just can't understand because it's just too complicated, you probably don't want to invest in it. Yeah. Don't just take a financial advisor's advice and by him telling you it's okay and everyone's doing it, make sure you understand it for sure. And that's, that's kind of like our Vanguard bond funds. I'm just not investing in them anymore. Cause I just, I understand what a bond is. I don't understand how a, like these bond funds are dropping four or 5% because of a t- 25 basis point interest rise. Right. It just doesn't make I, sense I think to me. I mean, your Vanguard uh, yeah, bond yeah, funds. Yeah, yeah. I, I never bought any. Yeah, so I'm getting <laughs> out of those. It just it it's still doesn't make sense to me. So I'm out and back into the stocks, following Johnny FD's footpath. I like it. All right, everyone. Uh, this was a long episode. Uh, I hope you guys got a ton of value from it. Uh, we just wanted to very quickly thank everyone who's taken the time to leave these amazing reviews of the podcast on iTunes. Uh, you guys are the reason why. It just continues to grow. Uh, we, we actually got a bunch this week, uh, but let's just quickly read two of them. Uh, the first is with Mademoiselle Maudine from the US. Uh, she said, excellent, nothing like it, five stars. I love this podcast. I've been listening for a few months now and was moved to invest in Indiegogo microventures this week. The reason I say this podcast is like no other is they are raw with the information they provide. They're not afraid to expose their errors and share with the listener how to po- possibly avoid the same mistakes. Additionally, these guys bring investing to everyone. They break down investing into layman's terms and shines a light on investments for the beginner and those who may not have a large investment budget. I love it. We got one more. We got it's called actionable from Olga C17 in Canada. And they say this podcast offers great value to both the educated investor and the layman alike. I'm a CPA. Johnny and Sam inspire trust and the information they share is actionable. I've listened to every episode. My only gripe is that I didn't think of the podcast idea first. Thanks, Oleg. Appreciate that. And thanks to everybody else. I think we got over 11 new reviews last week, all five stars. We've read them all and uh, we appreciate you guys taking a couple minutes to to leave that definitely helps us out a lot. Yeah, definitely. If you guys haven't joined the Boss Lounge yet, please do so. Just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you can sign up for it. And I think in 2017, one of our goals is to stop losing money from making this podcast. I don't think uh, Sam or I are trying to get rich from this podcast. I think we both just enjoy doing it. I know Sam loves speaking to all the guests. Uh, but one way that we can start monetizing this podcast without having to do 
annoying commercials, uh, you know, because not everybody needs to listen to a Casper mattress commercial, even though I'm sure they're great <laughs> mattresses, uh, is if you guys remember to use our links uh, on investlikeaboss.com. If you do end up signing up for any services that we re- that we had on the show that we have a link to, or even when you just buy a book. So if you're going to buy any of the books that people are talking about, if you go to investlikeaboss.com, click on the uh, either resources page or the show notes and use any of those links, Amazon will kick us back a few bucks every time you buy anything from there. So really, really appreciate that. And we will see all of you guys next week. Peace. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.